Hey guys. So, I didn't get a chance to talk about the last two episodes of Tales in the Territories. But I will say that both of them did a good job at, you know, talking about stories that we may have heard of and not heard of to an extent. Um, the second to last one, of course, was about Jim Crockett Promotions. And they did a great job talking about that. Talking about, you know, how basically the night that the horsemen... And essentially turned on Dusty after Dusty came to Ric Flair's aid uh, in his match against Ivan Koloff uh, in, the, in the steel cage. Basically, the horsemen could not, you know, could not really get to the dressing I mean, they got to the dressing room, uh, but they could not really get to the dressing room uh, without probably get, having their lives in danger. And when they got there, from what Arn said and everything, they basically were, they basically, they were bleeding. And it wasn't because of the match that Rick was in, no. It, they were bleeding because of people were trying to get at them. Because of what they did to Dusty. So, it, it is just, you know, one of those moments to where, you know, at that time, you know, in the Carolinas and other regional places for Crockett Promotions, you know, fans, you know, basically, you know, not only did they believe it was real... But if you heard one of the beloved heroes, like Dusty Rhodes, they were going to be out for blood. And they were. There's there's no getting around that. There's no getting around that. Uh, they did talk about uh, Jim Cornette and him being a heat magnet. And him basically, of course, breaking both his, blowing out both his knees, both his ankles. Uh, thanks to the scaffolding of the Skywalker, the Skywalker seal. And basically, they mentioned, and we've talked, and they've, you know, Jim's talked about this before on his podcast. Uh, they mentioned the fact that Big Bubba, the big boss man, if you will, was supposed to catch him. He was supposed to catch him, but he was off by a few feet, and Jim blew out his, his ankles. And he didn't get really any um, surgery for them or anything um, till later on or something like that to an extent. But, yeah, you know, Jim was a heat magnet. People wanted him dead. He even said that he was the only person that he knew of that was employed, uh, I think, in any kind of job to wear a, um, a bulletproof vest or something like that to work because he got so much heat. He got so much heat. You know, heat for what he talked about with baby doll and stuff and doing what he did to baby doll, you know, hitting her in the stomach with a racket. You know, and then Baby Doll, she was part of this, and she even said that she got so much heat as a heel when she was, you know, uh, with the horseman and totally Blanchard, that one lady, from what she remembers, a pregnant lady, pulled at her, and then when she went to go swing at this lady, she barely came close to hitting the lady in the stomach until she saw, oh my god, this lady's pregnant, but then she was curious, like, why would a pregnant lady be leaning over the, the edge to try to get at me? It's like, it didn't compute with her. Uh, of course, they talk, you know, Ricky Morton was also on this, and he talked about uh, the fact that, you know, he, because uh, one, one of the things that was always common in the old days and all that is when you would travel and you were married, there was a good chance, whether you're a man or a woman, that you'd be sleeping around with other people. And Ricky, of course, was no, um, was no innocent lamb when it came to that. And one night, him and his wife are watching, because his wife's a born-again Christian. She's very, you know, a prayer warrior kind of deal. And they're watching TBN. 
you know, CBN, TBN, and they're watching the 700 Club, and they see Tully Blanchard on there. I think it was 700 Club or Praise, one of the two. And they see Tully on there, confessing his redemption, his coming to Jesus. And then the moment that Ricky was worried about happened. Because his wife was already kind of suspicious, but he tried to play it down, say, oh, no, 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 it's not, it's not, that's not true, honey, it's not true, nothing going on. And the moment, like I said, that uh, Ricky was worried about when Tolly was on the 700 Club, it happened. Tolly talked about the fact that all the guys slept around, you know, slept around with other women, but more specifically, he pointed out Ricky Morton, being one that was probably being one that was probably the most notorious of them all. And Ricky pretty much knew, in his own words, uh, he was done. His marriage, (laughs) right then and there, down the toilet. Because as much as he tried to keep it hidden from his wife, this confession by uh, Tolly Blanchard on 700 Club did him in. It did him in. And that was it, (laughs) you know. But yeah, overall, the, 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 the Jim Crockett one, for Tales and Territories was good. They even touched. They even touched upon the what was it? The nineteen seventy two, I think, uh, plane crash uh, that Ric Flair was in. And basically, they talked about that two of the wrestlers, one of them being Johnny Valentine, uh, broke their back and never wrestle again. And they talked about how Tim Woods, Mister Wrestling, uh, was on that plane too. And again, one common theme about all these um, episodes with Tales and the Territories is that all the promoters, most of the promoters, always wanted to make sure that the good guys were never seen with the bad guys. The faces were never seen with the heels. And Mr. Wrestling was on this plane with Ric Flair, with Johnny Valentine, who he was in a feud with, and such. Basically all these heels. And, you know, he also got injured and everything, but he could not make it be too suspicious that he was a part of this. So he changed his name up a little bit to his real name. Um, and then he decided, okay, how do I how do I get out of this? How do I prove that I wasn't part of this? And what he does is he's in a, he's in the hospital. He has an injury. He has like a, a broken back. Well, I don't know if his back's broken, but he uh, has a couple of like injuries that are from the plane crash, like ribs and stuff. And he decides to check himself out. Now, I think this was at a time where you could check yourself out and not a problem if you felt okay, even if you still had injuries. Um, but nowadays, I think it's a little bit more different. But he checked himself out, went went to the arena, basically donned his re- Mr. Wrestling mask and tights, and went out there. He went out there to compete just to keep kayfabe alive and show, look, I'm wrestling, I'm competing, I'm winning, you know, how... How was I part of that? Plane crash. I wasn't. So, yeah, they touched upon that and how, you know, he basically essentially saved, you know, not just the Crockett promotions, but pro wrestling in general by by pulling that out, by pulling that off, if you will. And, uh, yeah, that was really about it. Um, again, the, oh, yeah, they talked about, they talked with Nikita Koloff, uh, name is, whose real name is, Sam Simpson or Sam Sampson or something like that. And he's from Minnesota. And he tried to keep kayfabe with, you know, being a Russian, being Nikita Koloff. And one day, Arn Anderson, according to what he said, was in a locker room. Nikita's trying to keep, you know, kayfabe. And Arn just goes up to him and says, Nikita, we know you could talk English. 
you could drop it, <laughs> you know, basically saying, hey, we know you're from Minnesota, we know you're American, drop the accent, we know you can speak English. Uh, but, yeah, they talked to Nikita, and Nikita even revealed that he was in the running, um, well, at least he was auditioning to be in the running to be uh, Drago, yeah, to be Drago in Rocky Four, and he basically nailed everything perfectly, but the only problem is when they did the shot that we see that's infamous, you know, with the movie where it's Drago here and Stallone here. Uh, what happened is that Drag is that Nikita did his part, and when he got face to face with uh, Stallone, according to what Nikita was told by the producers, by the by the producers and everything that were trying him out. He basically blocked Stallone out. Basically, he he was like the sun blo blocking out the moon. He basically eclipsed Stallone. So even though Nikita got all his, you know, all his lines correct and he did a fantastic job, what cost him was the fact that you couldn't is that you couldn't see Stallone. He basically out he basically outshined him in stature, if you will. Um, but yeah, overall the Crockett one was pretty good. And then, of course, the season finale one was about Mid-South, a.k.a. UWF. And it was interesting. There's no doubt. They had uh, Jim Ross. They had um, they had Jim Ross. They had Michael P.S. Hayes, which was a surprise. Uh, they had... Um, who else did they have? They had Ted DiBiase. They had Jake Roberts. Yeah, they had a good lineup here. They had a good lineup. And... Basically, Jim was kind of Jim Ross was Jr. was kind of like the moderator here because he was mostly closely associated with Bill Watson. Any of them, but the episode was a good. I thought it was a good um, conclusion to the season. I thought the stories they told were really good. Uh, they talked about uh, Michael Hayes talked about the time in story where they blinded uh, Junkyard Dog because Junkyard Dog was a Bill Watts, one thing about Bill Watts is he never was afraid to take a chance on other ethics, if you will, other, you know, other ethics, other races, you know, at the top. And his most prominent, you know, example of that was with the African-Americans, with black, with, uh, with the black people. I mean, we saw that when he gave the WCW title to Ron Simmons, having him beat Vader. So he was very high on being like, hey, I'm going to give everybody a chance, no matter what the race. And JYD was one of those guys that he gave a chance to. And JYD was involved in an angle where he and his tag team partner took on, I think it was Hayes and Gordy, and, you know, the Freebirds. And the Freebirds won the match. The stipulation was who, you know, whoever lost would get their head, uh, would basically get doused with this magical shaving cream that would cause their hair to fall out. Well, what happened is that JYD went to go see save his partner. I think his name was Buck or something like that. And instead, Michael turned around and basically hit J.Y.D. right in the eyes with the solution and blinded him temporarily. And J.Y.D. sold this so well, you know, in and out of the ring that he would go, when he was at home, he would shut the blinds and nobody would see that, hey, he's not really blind. So he would shut them so he could keep kayfabe. And this was at a time when his wife was expecting their, their daughter, uh, his daughter. I think it was his daughter, the one that actually passed away years after the Hall of Fame where he was inducted, I think, in 2004. She actually passed away years later, I think. I think she did. I'm not really sure. Uh, but anyway, um, he's basically blinded and everything, and he he's on television saying, here, 
showing off his new daughter and his wife because they wanted to play it up to be legit had to point him over to another direction and say she's right here honey and this was culminating to a big steel cage match at the Superdome where it would be a blinded JYD against Michael Hayes and the moment where JYD took off the the eye protection off his eyes to show Michael hey I could see again I see you the whole place popped so yeah JYD was super over in the Carolinas super over well not Carolinas but in the Mid-South super over and of course and of course they did talk about um what, what else did they talk about oh yeah they talked about basically you know they they talked about uh, let, let's see what they, they said oh yeah they talked about uh Ted DiBiase Ted DiBiase when he first began was a major face he had been a face for you know quite some time up you know even into mid south and basically Ted wanted to try something different he wanted to finally go heel right so he goes to I can't think of the promoter's name can't think of the guy's name you know, it was Ernie Ladd, Big Cat Ernie Ladd, who I think was booking for Watts at the time. And he goes to Ladd and says, I got this great idea for your next big heel, or who your next big heel should be. And Ladd's like, well, who is it? And he says, you're looking at him. And Ladd, according to DVRC, had this big grin on his face and said, that's brilliant. Go with it. And that's what they did. Ted DiBiase, um, I think, was facing... Terry Taylor, I believe. He was either Terry Taylor or somebody uh, for the North... Uh, no, it was... Um, who was it? Was it... Uh, was it... Hacksaw? It was, I, I can't remember who it was. I can't... Oh, no, it was Junkyard Dog. You know, I think it was Junkyard Dog. Yeah, I think it was Junkyard Dog. He was facing him for, I think, the North American title. Or the Mid-South title. And... And basically, they... You know, played it up to where it's going to be babyface against babyface. No shenanigans. You know, everybody's always, you know, both are always concerned for each other's safety. And then what happened is JYD, he goes to the outside because, you know, Ted goes to the outside. And you got to remember, this concrete mainly at that time. He goes to the outside, you know, gets Ted check up, to check up on him, throws him back in the ring, slides him back in the ring so they can continue the match. But unbeknownst to him, Ted always had this uh, glove. He always wore this glove to the ring. And what he did is, as soon as JYD came in, Ed hits JYD with the glove, loaded that is, and knocks him out to win the title, and boom, instant heel heat. Instant heel heat. And they talked about the story to where uh, JYD had basically lost the match, I don't know if it was to Ted, I think it was to Ted, to where the loser would leave uh, Mid-South, and JYD did not. He would come back, you know, under... Uh, under a mask and you know a huge, uh, basically a, re a green and orange outfit, and Ted would always point out, "I know it's you, JYD. I know it's you under that outfit, under that mask, and everything." And eventually, they did they did find out. Now I don't know if that basically meant JYD was done with Mid South or what after that, or he won back his championship. I don't know what it was, but they did talk about it beforehand in, uh, in other documentaries, you know. But yeah, you know, that, that feud was huge. And they even, I think they even touched upon this feud with Hacksaw um, as well. 
But overall, you know, when Ted made that big heel move, it was basically something that nobody saw coming. Nobody thought it was going to happen because he was such a big babyface, and yet here he did it. And he's gone on, and basically on record, through Mid-South, WWE, he went on to be one of the biggest heels in the business. And I think that was a smart move on his part. Uh, they talked about how Bill Watts would want you know his men and women to keep kayfabe um, in and out of the ring. And that meant if you got into a fight with some people who thought they could beat you up because they were bigger and badder, you either won your fight or you could kiss your job goodbye. And they talk about the story where Hacksaw and um, Jake are at a bar and a big bicycle guy comes in and starts picking a fight with Hacksaw and beating him down. And Hacksaw is already like drunk. He's buzzed and everything. But he's trying to fight back. He's trying to fight back against this guy. And, you know, Jake's trying to help him out by saying 12 o'clock to whatever. And finally, Hacksaw gets an opportunity. Like, I think the guy starts biting on his finger. And I think that's enough for Hacksaw to be like, I got you now, you your mother blanker. And then, boom, one shot, knocked the guy down. And he starts beating him down. Cops show up. Jake has to get him out of there. He's already ordered two drinks. And Hacksaw, he's banging on the door after the, out of the bar saying, You owe me! You owe me! He owes me! And Jake has to be like, Enough! Enough! We're done! And then all of a sudden you hear the sirens and Hacksaw's like, Oh yeah, let's get out of here. And Jake gives him another drink, gives him the other drink he got and Hacksaw puts his thumb, which is bleeding, which is not bit on, in there to cool it down. So yeah, that was a huge... So that was a... Um, crazy story there. And then they talk about Leo, Leroy McGurk, who was Mike McGurk's uh, father. Mike McGurk was a ring announcer in the late 80s, early 90s for WWE. She was somebody that basically both Bobby Heaton and Harvey Whippleman would pick on uh, whenever you know she was on screen or whenever she would do some announcing. And they talked about how Leroy um, was working for Watts. He was kind of like, I guess, a booker or some kind of co-partner or something like that. And JR would always drive Leroy around because Leroy was blind. Leroy used to wrestle. He was a former junior heavyweight champion for the NWA. But then he got in an accident and basically his only good eye, you know, got you know got taken out, you know, had a lots of shards of glass go in it uh, when he went through the window of a, you know, of a car accident. And basically, because the shards went into his other good eye, he became blinded permanently. He had one blind eye, now he had two. So what happened, uh, what happened is that, you know, JR would drive him around to make sure he got to the, to the towns, to the arenas, the venues. And Leroy, like I said, had one, one little rule. Well, it was a big rule, not little. And that is no wrestler should date his daughter. And that would be Mike McGurk, whose real name is Michelle McGurk. Uh, but he wanted a boy, so she was named Mike, but the real name's Michelle. So anyway, um, anyway, he had that one rule, you don't date his daughter. Well, guess what? Ted DiBiase decides to break that rule, unbeknownst to him, and date Mike. He started to date her. So Leroy, when, one day when JR goes to pick him up, you know, is putting, JR's putting his stuff in the, in the car, and Leroy tells him, take a look in one of the bags. So JR looks, and he sees a gun. He sees a, I can't think of the name of it right now, but he sees a gun. And Leroy, he gives it to Lee, and he's like, what's this? And Leroy's like, we, not I, but we, are going to kill Ted DiBiase. Because he found out that Ted 
you know, is dating his daughter, or at least he's getting word that that's, you know, potentially happening. So he basically wants to make an example out of DVRC. So what happens is JR says that during one of those stops, because there's other things that happen too, like the ashes from the cigar going uh, on the midsection of Leroy's pants and burning his, you know, balls and everything to where JR has to finally put it out. Uh, but then they get to a, but, and they didn't talk about that in the, in the episode, but they did talk about this where JR, one of the stops he makes is at a gas station. He goes out and Leroy's already drunk. He's already drunk a little bit when JR is picking it up, picking him up and everything and all that, or at least getting there. And when he gets to this gas station, he goes to this payphone, calls up Bill Watson, says, I got a situation on my hands here. And Bill's like, what? And he tells him that Leroy wants to kill Ted DiBiase because he's dating Mike. So Bill's like, hey, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. You bring Leroy to me. Because Leroy's plan was this. Ted would bring him to the hotel He'd be in one of the main halls, the main rooms, as you, I guess as you enter the hotel, something like that. Uh, Jim, according to what Leroy told him, would go get Ted. Ted, Ted would come down, and then the moment that Ted would open the door, Leroy would start shooting rat- erratically, because he's blind, hoping one of the bullets would hit and kill Ted DiBiase. But thankfully, that did not happen, because Bill Watts took Leroy um, off uh, Jim's hands, so... So that was uh, an interesting story there. And then, of course, you had your piss and fart jokes and all that. But this time, you add vomit to it. You add vomit to it because one thing that the Freebirds, they were kind of like, I guess you could say, the early version of DX. One of them always had to be a prankster. And that one was Buddy Roberts because he was a veteran. And the Freebirds consisted of a basically early 20s, late teens, Terry Gordy and Michael Hayes. So Buddy, I guess, was put in there to help them give veteran advice. And Buddy was partners with Jerry Brown uh, in the original Hollywood Blondes. And Jerry Brown had his own issues with Bill because I guess he felt that they should be, they as a tag team and him specifically should be paid more. So it got to a point between Brown and Watts to where Brown would always be like outside of Watts' home, you know, and nobody knew why, but he was at that point where he was so unpredictable, even outside of the ring, you didn't know what he was going to do. And then one day, he starts firing shots with a gun at um, at Bill's at Bill's house, almost, according to JR, almost hitting Bill's daughter. And so Bill basically goes in, gets his white rifle, goes outside, confronts Brown, and puts the rifle right in his mouth saying, you get the F out of here. I don't want to see you here again. And Brown never messed with him, according to what Jr. said. Now Brown had been issued warnings by police to, you know, not do that, you know, not, you know, you know, park down the property and just basically sit there and look. You, you know, they've been he's been told multiple times to get off, but this time he was like, screw it, I'm going to take this guy out for some odd reason because he wasn't all right in the head. Anyway, his partner though, Buddy Roberts, got hooked up with the Freebirds as sort of like the veteran, and he was a bit of a prankster, so. Uh, one day, I, I guess what I, I guess what happened is, you know, they go off to the side of the road to pee because when you're going on long trips and you're drinking, whether it's beer, whether it's soda, whatever, you know, it's going to get to you and you need to pee. So you go off to the side of the road and you pee if you're a guy. So basically, what happens is that Terry Gordy, well, not Terry Gordy, but uh, Buddy Roberts is, you know nearly is is done with one beer bottle. He's basically done drinking one beer bottle. So he decides he's going to play a prank on Terry and he pees. 
he kind of basically pees into the bottle. Like he puts it up to him while they're driving. He's in the back seat and he pees a little bit into the bottle. He hands it to Terry. He says, Terry, can you chuck this for me? Get it out of the window. And Terry's looking at it, thinking it's beer, saying, I'm not going to chuck it. I'm going to drink it. I'm going to finish it. And the moment he does, that's when he tastes the fact that it's not beer, it's pee. And he spits it out all over the window. So Terry's like, I'm going to come up with an idea to get back at this guy. So one day, you know, Buddy decides to ride with Bill Watts on his plane to the next avenue. You know, Terry, Michael, and the other guy that was with them decide, okay, we're going to drive instead. Because Terry realizes, hey, this is an opportunity to get back at this guy. So he takes, and Buddy, unsuspectedly not knowing what's going to happen, leaves his bag with them. So Terry decides he's going to pee in the bag, he's going to shit in the bag, he's going to put rotten eggs in the bag, and all that. And then to top it all off, it, Michael even said it's like God was in on the prank. They approach what looks like to be, according to the dramatization, a freshly ran over dead possum and put it in there. And as soon as they entered the arena, Jake actually had to interrupt Michael for a moment. And Jake said, you know, what happened happened was when, you know, they came into, into the locker room. Jake, according to what he said, could see flies swarming around there, you know, around the bag. And that is mo the moment after they walked away, that's when the funk got right to Jake. And Jake was like, oh. <laughs> and then everybody else, the moment Buddy Roberts opened the bag, everybody else was chucking. Everybody else was throwing up. They were regurgitating. But crazy enough, Buddy Roberts didn't sell it. And, you mean, obviously he knew he was getting pranked. He was getting uh, pranked at by, by Terry and the guys. But... He didn't sell it. He basically took the jacket, put it on, put on the shorts, put on the boots. You know, he didn't sell it. But boy, according to the dramatization and what they were telling, everybody else in the audience sold it. Even one guy, I don't know why they added this in there, threw up, who was in the front row, threw up because of the smell. It was that bad. But uh, overall, besides that, um, it, was a good, it was a good finale. I mean, they did touch upon the fact that just like some of the promotions that were talked about before, it was no for its blood, probably more so than anybody else. But besides that, it was overall a good show. It was overall a good episode and a good uh, finale to Tales from the Territories. And I hope they come back with more. I hope they come back with another season, and uh, along with a season for Dark Side of the Ring, because these are great shows. Uh, let's not deny it. These are some great shows that if you've not seen them yet, you have to check them out. They are on Vice's On Demand channel, so check them out. Uh, but let me know what your thoughts are, guys. How do you feel about Tales from the Territories? What were your thoughts of it overall? Comment below, live chat during the premiere, like the video, and until then, I'll talk to you all later.